0: I'd like to welcome everyone this evening. So we're going to journey again further into this Satipatthana Sutta. Uh, But uh, I'd like to preface what I want to speak about with a couple of things. One is um, that there's a constant refrain that uh, the Buddha uses uh, to sort of summarize uh, every so often the sutta. He talks about uh, all of this is meant uh, to allow uh, the person to abide independently of all things. Independently of all things. And what he's, what he's doing is casting uh, the sutta to uh, bridge freedom, really. It's about being free. And, Uh, In independent but uh, may I say that uh, from the wrong perspective we can misread what it means to be independent of all things especially as Westerners we like the cowboy and cowgirl approach to our meditation and sort of the self-reliant and nobody's going to tell me what to do approach to our meditation and that's really not what the Buddha is pointing at here In fact, may I say, to abide independently of all things is the same as abiding interconnected to all things. Uh, Least we believe ourselves to be forming a stronger and more resolute and defined sense of self, it's that very project that has to diminish in order for that interconnection to be known. As he talks about abiding independently of all things, it just simply means that there's no dialogue or narrative we're having with life in form of any kind or attempt to resist it at all. And in the absence of that dialogue, in the absence of resistance, there is a, a rising of the interdependent quality of life. Now, unless we understand the continuum that we're walking on, is going from noise the noisiness of our thinking and the noisiness of our resistance and the sense of objection we have to uh in commentary that we give to most experiences we're not going to realize that that journey from noise to stillness is also the journey that he's talking about to abide independently of all things so it's very important for us to compare notes here so that we're not thinking that there are two things that are being, two invitations that are being extended. Now I also want to talk just a little bit about the sutta up until this point, because we've gone, we haven't actually gone through much of it at all, (laughs) despite the fact that we've done like 12 talks or something. Uh, And I'm deliberately going slowly, obviously, because I don't think, what are we rushing for? You know, what's the next subject going to be if it doesn't, if it isn't covered in this one, it probably isn't uh, worth speaking about. Uh, but the, the sutta started off by welcoming us into our bodies. Uh, and many of us have a poor a relationship to our bodies that we have gone into and we just don't, we don't feel welcomed when we come home. We don't feel like this is a home base that provides any sense of settledness or comfort or calm at all. In fact, we, have, we may have had a traumatic history with it or whatever, and we're a little bit edgy in relationship to our own body. So that has to be solved. We have to be able to bring ourselves into our body and find that settledness there, which means that we have to go through and endure and release some of the painful memories and conditioning that's associated with it. So that's, that's part of the welcoming ceremony that we do. And then the other invitation that I find throughout this sutta up until now has been an exploration of the body, what it is. What is the body? And at times he will encourage us uh, to explore it quietly. He'll say, don't use memory and previous knowledge of what the body is in your exploration of of what it is in this moment. Uh, And so he's cutting off the past images we have associated with the body uh, through that exploration and what you find is that as we quiet ourselves and investigate what the body is without a narrative telling us that we are now at our little digit the end digit of our little finger on our left hand uh, suddenly the body becomes very wondrous very large very um, unformed yet uh, very safe uh, within that unformed quality and we can just deal with the sensation of the body as it is rather than as connecting it to a personal relationship a personal form a personal uh, project that we have with our body now i don't know how many of you have done courses with Gawinka or his uh, trainees but the Gawinka courses take you uh, through the body systematically like a plane of sensation where you start at your head and move your attention throughout the physical body over and over again. It's called sweeping meditation. And as one begins to sweep one's awareness through the body, what the body begins to feel like is an energetic system rather than a physical system. And you can just you can feel the movement of those waves of energy moving down. It's a very good practice, And I encourage people who haven't done it to do it if you want to do a ten- day course, but there's no walking associated with this particular t- tradition, and a philosophy of exclusivity that doesn't really um, encourage sitting with groups that aren't practicing that form. So that if you leave the philosophy behind, the practice itself is a good one, and it shows you a different relationship to the body than a body of bones and sinews and other muscles and all the other tissue elements that we're going to be going in tonight. So uh, the Buddha is uh, encouraging a systematic exploration of the body. He's giving several different techniques and exercises to do just that. Uh, and he um, At the same time, he's giving these very uh, well um, historically well-conditioned exercises. There's also an implied meaning to this sutta that I think most people miss. It's not just what is stated. I think of any sutta that the Buddha gave because uh, after he gave it, it had to be condensed down. Uh, because then it could be communicated and and re-memorized and passed along so it was like okay we've got to take all the water out of this uh, th- it's like a stuff it expander which I've talked about you know you download a huge file and then you put stuff it expander and it explodes out and becomes very rich well this data this suit these suttas are haven't been uh, exploded or haven't been um, elaborated upon uh they stay very condensed uh in themselves and what can be helpful is not to look just at the strict meaning and definition of translation of what every word is and every sentence means but to um, bring some water into this thing to to hydrate it a little bit so that it begins to call uh, us more of its richness which i'm sure was much more elaborate when the actual discourse was given than it is today. And so um, my suggestion is then is to look for the implications of this sutta. And we'll be going through some of the ones today. But just to review some of the ways that up until this point there have been implied messages within what we have read. He's talked about, for instance, uh, when you start moving, that there is no action that is outside of one's willing one's ability uh, to discern and be aware of that movement and he goes through a whole list of different movements that he encourages us to be fully aware of So another an implication of that is that there, he's no longer separating he's not keeping us on the cushion he's taking us right into life in the full embodiment of life and therefore he's saying what's implied in that is that there is no difference between the secular and the spiritual divisions in this world. That the, that the spiritual and the secular are one and the same. Now we should understand that because as long as we have a divide in our minds, a division in which we think this is a spiritual activity and this is a secular one, they'll never come together in the rich flowering that is meant in this sutta. So let's turn off our phones, for God's sake. We've been been through this every single week. Okay. Uh, Another is in terms of of control and um, surrender. We find that as we turn over our attention to full awareness, uh, we lose the ability to control the Dharma, to make it operate under our capacity and effort. And so we have to just open this whole thing up so that it comes comes back in uh on its own in its own way in its own disposition we can't keep certain things out and want certain things or certain messages and look it's it's a full embrace of the entire range and uh examination of life as life is presenting it not as we wish it to be presented and that's a tremendous uh help because we we're always trying to kind of arrange our Dharma life and our worldly life so that it's all very systematic and controlled and orderly and you know predictable and uh and all set up for us. But that's essentially we're unable to do that. And the B- Buddha I think is implying that we shouldn't be doing that. That we should just let the full catastrophe of life explode forth. Uh, so Ultimately, uh, he's also speaking about, he keeps talking about full alertness, fully alert, and fully alert is uh, the willingness uh, to release our tendencies, to control our awareness so that it's just selecting out what we want to be alert of. I'll I'll pay attention just to my breath this time, but not to my back pain. I'll pay attention just to the sounds Uh, But I'll eliminate all the other distracting uh, sensations. This full alertness, this full abiding, has no selectivity to it. And I think what he's ultimately doing is moving us from a very controlled uh, form of mindfulness meditation to a full abiding presence in life. So these are just some of the ways that up until this point, I think that he's been... Moving us and implying uh, that the practice unfolds. But let's uh, continue on here. And before I get to this next section, which is um, a more difficult section, I want to just encourage uh, us to uh, look at the body in context to the universe. And I do this uh, to lighten up the what is, what is about to come, <laughs> I think. Um, and remembering that the same intelligence of the universe is also contained in the body. And I've been following a series of lectures on cosmology that I have appreciated a great deal. Well, the, the one lecture that is most recently in mind is in regards to uh, the first second of the universe essentially in the first second after the hot big bang unfolded the laws of physics became manifested as we know them today and all the particles of life uh, all the materiality of life began uh, also to manifest and one would have to ask out of nothing came that something. How, what, where did that something arise from in the universe? Since it came from nothing. In the beginning there was nothing. And the way this cosmologist answers that is he says that as energy comes into the vacuum of space, it produces the particles of materiality of space. And how does the vacuum then, and this is the cosmologist speaking, not me, he says, how does the vacuum know what to produce? How does he know, how does it know, <laughs> how does it know whether to produce a proton and an antiproton and not two protons or whatever the combination of activity is in there? What is, how does the energy convert itself into the matter? And he says, that knowing, he says, the vacuum gives uh life to the universe and informs it how to behave it comes from the emptiness itself well i find that to be interesting (laughs) the knowledge to do that is located within every point in space he says the vacuum gives life to the universe and informs it how to behave okay so we are a part of that we're a part of that we are a part of the vacuum of space and we have been formed out of it and that knowledge is located within every point of space meaning every point of us as well and so the intelligence that we find in the body is really the intelligence we find in the universe we shouldn't think of it as two separate things. Another, something that scientists seem to um, omit or discourage uh, an explanation for this is consciousness. The consciousness, this vacuum was not without consciousness. Consciousness couldn't be measured, but consciousness was the informing quality, was the creative quality of that. That consciousness, that that is all of life is also an intimate part of each of our individuated lives and so as we begin to explore the body it's from that alignment that we should begin to assert that, that we should begin to line ourselves up not through the individuation that we have associated ourselves with but f- with the the expanse the expanse, with the infinite, that is so relevant uh, and is so accessible, really, as we do some of these practices. I say they're relevant, I say they're accessible. They're only relevant and accessible if we don't keep bridging everything we see with the discourse and label that we give to it. When we take the name and the word away from what it is that we actually experience, It stretches out. It becomes expansive. It becomes infinite, you might say. So uh, we're about ready to uh, move into uh, the unbeautiful quality of the body. It's called, in Buddhism, asoba. Asoba asoba means beautiful. Asoba means without beauty. And we we are going to play with uh, the theme of repulsion now. (laughs) <laughs> uh, now re- we're just playing with a perception and I'll talk about why it is that this was relevant uh, or is relevant to many of us what's the point of it are we, um, are we negating the body are we uh, you know going into aesthetic practices here I don't think so but, but remember how much attraction we invest in the body how much we have uh, at stake in this thing, how we beautify it, how our pages of our magazine are so filled with the glamour of the body, which is a perception of the body. It's not the whole story. But we, we have leaned so heavily within that perception that most of us find that we try to uh, b- bridge our own appearance with the appearances of those magazines, because we feel that the attractive quality of the of the, of the body is the most acceptable and uh, the most encouraged within this culture. So the Buddha uh, doesn't want us to lean. So he's going to be talking about some of the repelling qualities, the repulsioning qualities of the body. And so I'm just going to read this paragraph here and then. <laughs> so it says Furthermore, just as if a sack were opening at both ends, Were full of various kinds of grain wheat rice mung beans kidney beans sesame seeds husked rice and a man with good eyesight pouring it out were to reflect this is wheat this is rice these are mung beans these are kidney beans these are sesame seeds this is husked rice in the same way monks and nuns a monk or nun reflects upon his or her own very body with the soles of his feet on up from the crown of his head on down, surrounded by skin and full of various kinds of unclean things. In this body, there are head hairs, body hairs, nails, teeth, skin, flesh, tendons, bones, bone marrow, kidneys, heart, liver, pleura, spleen, lungs, large intestines, small intestines, feces, bile, phlegm, pus, blood, sweat, fat, tears, skin oil, saliva, mucus, fluid in the joints and urine (laughs) well (laughs) what's he doing here i mean i one of the first uh, statues i ever saw of the buddha was when he was an ascetic uh, monk before he realized uh, the true path and he was very very thin in fact it said that you could look at his front side and see his backbone sticking through his front eating one grain of rice a day this is mythology of course because no one can live on a single grain of rice a day but nevertheless uh there was a point in his practice when he was uh sort of trying to transcend the mind from the body and even to this day you'll find in some of the southeast asian countries some uh, practices like i had one teacher who encouraged his students uh, to sit up even in the throes of malaria i i've had malaria so i <laughs> i couldn't even <laughs> stay conscious to to the illness so uh these kinds of uh very uh hardened uh, uh mind resolves to get you through or over uh the body aren't very inviting uh, to a welcoming uh vision of welcoming our attention into our body which is really what this sutta is about so what's the conflict here what how does this how does this fit with the welcoming atmosphere that the first part of the sutta encourages well, the first thing let's just just the pragmatic quality of of looking at the repulsive side is that it's an antidote to the attachment in the sexual desire that monks and nuns, if that's whom he was speaking with, have no recourse for. monks and nuns are celibate completely. and yet that doesn't keep their mind from uh, dwelling on fantasies like that and So, to offset or to counter the balance of influence of attractiveness, it's useful to look at the perceptions of the body as being unattractive. To see that it's not just this beautification cosmopolitan magazine cover, that it contains some very repulsive qualities to it that are not very welcoming, and in fact you wouldn't buy the magazine if they were shown. Uh, so uh, we are we're asked to explore this body as it is, rather than what we would love it to be. And so, you can see that the first reason then is a very pra- practical reason. Let's just look at this thing, and uh, from the rep- since we've given it so much advantage, let's look at the disadvantage side of it: that it gets sick, that it. Uh, is not always uh, energetic that it can be dull and lifeless and look look at that side and then let it come back into a kind of a balance between the two and so fair enough i think i think that it's not he's not trying to negate the body as much as balance the energies of how we perceive the body now uh he goes on and he starts looking at the whole of the body instead of looking at the whole of the body he starts breaking it into parts and uh, what looked so beautiful in its totality when it was all together when we start looking at the individual parts of the body breaking it into sections doesn't hold that beauty so much does it it's like taking an automobile you know a very uh, desirable automobile and taking it apart and then you know, looking at the 32 parts of the automobile, individually, there's, you just lose the collective beauty of what it used to be. And so, too, we can take our attention into the body, and this actual reflection, or contemplation, or um, meditation on the 32 parts of body is actually a meditation, where you take your attention and you place it upon what I just read, uh, and you begin just to feel that area of your body, and you just hold it instead of thinking it. You just let it be sit in your consciousness with you, and then you move to the next section and the next section. And it's, uh, it brings a, a, a quality of uh, of non attachment to the body that can be very useful. And again, as Westerners, we are if we, if we ha- if there's a leaning to us. Uh, the leaning is much more to the attractive side. So it does need to be balanced. It needs to be looked at. What, how are we going to be independent in, in, of all things? Uh, that includes independence of our sense of infusing attachment to the body itself. It's going to die. In fact, the next couple of lectures on this series is going to be around death and dying because that's where the next section of this sutta takes us. And so we'll be talking about death and dying. But to, but to get a sense of that. And now let's look at some of the implied, uh, the implications of that paragraph that I just read, because I think it's important. Um, that what he is implying that we need to do is to change perceptions. That are, we have a perceptual fix when we see a certain thing and that that's the only way that we see it. And how is it that we can change the perceptual fix that we're in? And uh, so he wants to show us the relativity of perception. Mostly we invest in a kind of fixed perceptual way we look at the world. Uh, We have an emotional response to it. We have a narrative associated with it. And we don't want to see it any differently than the way we've invested in it. And what he is suggesting is that those perceptions, taken to be so true, are really just a particular perspective in the moment. And then if we can change them, you'll see a very different expression of life. It may not be pleasant, because we have been focusing on the pleasant side, but if we look at, the, just, just change one, just one little ratchet down or over, just a, suddenly it opens up into a very different experience. Now, uh, perception uh, needs to be looked at in terms of views and opinions. Because once we have a, a perception, then very quickly a view starts coming in from that perception, and the views and opinions become very fixed within it. But we have fixed views and opinions that arise from relative perceptions. The perception that we see is only held fixed because of the view and intentionality of what we want to see so if we want to see something beautiful we will look just towards the beauty side of that and so the perception will fix around that view and opinion but if we release the view and opinion and really look at it from all different sides it begins to show us the complete story and that's very important because fixed views come from relative perceptions what do we know for certain we seem to know everything about everything we know is really just a perception that we have fixed a view and opinion around and if we start looking from a different way or allow our perceptions to move and float and be more liquid and less less structured then and to release the view and opinion associated with them and this whole thing becomes, gets wide open and very interesting. Now, part of the way that views and opinions are formed is the way that mind and matter, mind and physical body, mutually condition one another. So just listen to this, because this is implied within the sutta, is that um, mind conditions m- matter. Now what do I mean by mind conditions matter? Well, if the mind is anxious, the body gets tense. Mind conditions matter. Conditions the physical, doesn't it? So you can see that. You can get a sense of how the mental creates creates a tension or a result or has an effect on the physical quality of the body. So that's mind uh, conditioning matter how about matter conditioning mind how does the body affect the mind well it affects it if you're ill if you have a physical ailment that can make you dull and lifeless have less energy your mind is uh, not as pliable it's uh, not it's uh, a very um uh, non-responsive so that's the physical conditioning the mental Okay, so now how does the mental condition the mental? First, we've had the mental condition the physical. Then we had the physical condition the mental. How does the mental condition the mental? Well, if we are um, outside, for instance, and we feel cold, that's a physical response. That coldness creates a mental aversion. That's a mental response to a physical cold. So that's the physical conditioning the mental. Now listen, from that sense of aversion, the mental response, comes another mental response in which I have decided a desire to go inside. So the mind that created the aversion now has its effect upon the mind's thought about where it would like to go to get out of that aversive response. So there we see the mind conditioning the mind. And finally, how does matter condition matter? Well, the food we eat affects the body, doesn't it? And so the certain foods you eat has a certain effect upon the body, and that's matter or body affecting body. So all of those different ways that matter and mind interconnect and condition one another begin to form the opinion and perception that we have about life as well. And you can begin to get a sense of it. You know, we think what's wrong with my body today and suddenly our mind is taking up a particular perspective within the body and then having a an aversive response and you can begin to see the interchange between the mind and the body as we begin to open up the display of what this thing is about as we begin to investigate it it becomes really fascinating uh, to take it at that level of detail So let's move on to the new implication another thing that's implied within the sutta and i want to spend a little bit of time on it because i gave you homework associated with it and that is the emphasis on appearance as opposed to the awareness that holds the appearance you know our attraction to the body is based upon the appearance that we have invested in the body not really the realization of what the body is when you realize what the body is you move beyond or deeper, you have a deeper relationship to the body than simple, than the simple appearance. Now we keep our attention focused on appearance for a very good reason. That we don't want people to see the deeper sense of sorrow and uh, unsatisfactoriness and uh, suffering and pain that we are in uh, that's just below the surface of that appearance. And so as long as I can look very pretty, you won't question uh, me any deeper and to see what I am deeper than my appearance. So if I can hold your level of attention on my appearance, and if that fails, I I have my personality. And now I hold your attention on the appearance of my personality. But for God's sakes, don't go any deeper than that. Because what we're afraid of is that people see the very pain that we're in and ultimately we're afraid of the emptiness the the sense of vac- vacuity the sense of of being the vacuum itself that i spoke about earlier that sense of being nothing deep down we are nothing and most of our defenses when we start moving our sense of awareness into ourselves is to protect ourselves from the discovery of that nothingness and so we try to keep people's appearances or attention based upon our appearances, just as we try to keep our own attention based upon our appearances. How much time do we spend in front of the mirror, as opposed to how much time do we sit on the floor in meditation? I think if we reversed that time, we would probably all be better meditators. And so that that sense of appearance is really establishes the point of reference it's with an appearance i can judge i can compare i can compete i get a a um, i can get some traction to the sense of me and i can live my life around and based from that sense of appearance and that's 90 percent of our energy is really about appearances in this culture it's having not just a car but one that appears you know if you're a meditator you want to drive a Prius (laughs) (laughs) but if, if you're a CEO you don't care about a Prius that's not your appearance reference you know so what where we are where we settle our attention very much is in accordance with the opinions and perceptions that we give to life at any particular time so Look at your appearances. See what they are. See where, they, see where your intentions are for your life based upon your appearances. See how much we pry to protect our appearance or keep them well shined and glossy so that people will stop at that door. See how much concern we give our sense of appearance to one another. Remember that deep inside of us is the vacuum of space itself is the thing that is the common denominator to all species, to all things. And if we lose our footing and suddenly slip into that emptiness of space, that feels very jolting to us and we prefer to have the rub of our life based upon something that we can master, that we can work upon, that we can accomplish, that we can improve which is our sense of personality, our character, our appearance, whatever form of manifestation that we have settled upon. Now, another implication of this just this very simple paragraph that I read is, uh, are we being asked, this is a question, an implied question, are we being asked to love what is intrinsically repulsive? Because the Buddha says, I'll quote what the Buddha says, he says, you cannot experience the deathless, which means freedom, without access to the whole of the body, without the love of the whole of the body. And he's just given us sinews and hair follicles and urine and defecation and anuses and all. (laughs) How are we to love that? The question is, how do we how do we love that? And I think it's a very very important question. We our love seems to be uh, well suited for where it is that our appearances are resting, where it is that we have invested in our appearances. We can easily love the personality that's an easy personality. We can love the person who. Uh, displays the kind of character that is spiritually uh, appreciated somebody who's generous but if you go off scale it gets harder and harder for us to find love the range of our love to meet uh... some of our disapproving behaviors and so our love is conditioned for most of us conditioned upon what we think of and appreciate from life and what we want to invest in life being And yet, the Buddha is asking us to love unconditionally. And he's breaking down the body into areas that are very questionable about whether we can actually have any affection for these things. You know, if I, one of the, I was thinking about giving you the homework of sending you out to a landfill (laughs) and not to leave the landfill until you can abide in the landfill with a loving heart, right? It's easy to go into the forest, go look at the virgin timbers, and go up to Mount Rainier, and look over the mountainside, and your heart will spring forth, wasn't it? Because the appearance is so majestic and so beautiful. But what about the other side of life? What about the downtown seedy areas? What about the gas stations, and the garbage, and the landfills, et cetera, et cetera, you see? This is un- is this love unconditional is it conditional is it conditioned upon ex- appearances those are important questions that spring forth from this very simple very simple passage here and uh, what we find is that as we learn to love what seems so impossible to love like all areas of our body loving Dare our dare dare I say it our anus like oh my God you know just having some sense of inclusivity and not sort of that is the repulsive side of me that I want no part of but let's just small and I mean he doesn't stop you know he just keeps taking you deeper and deeper into areas of their body that we really um, Please, not the hair follicles. <laughs> and to, something really beautiful about his uh, unswerving and determination to take us through the whole thing. And we have to, we have to be willing. So if, if you uh, have a very refined attention upon the breath, let's branch it out a little bit here. Let's begin to feel different parts of our body. Uh, that hold a slight rub to us. And see if we can start including the whole of the body within that sense of attention. And uh, what we'll find is that our sensitivity will increase. We'll have greater sensitivity the more inclusive we become. The more exclusive, the more we side with the appearances Then the more hardened our heart will be. Uh, Because it will only spring forward when the right conditions are there and everything else is sort of off the map in terms of what's respectable. So, he's encouraging us. This is another way, through this sutta, he's encouraging us to be all-inclusive. Unconditional in love. But he's taking us, he doesn't do this through, okay everybody, now warm your heart and now we're going to think of benefactors and friends and now a little discouraging person you know no he's taking us right into the guts and blood and pus of our body he's doing it that way he's going through that door you see okay so i want to read this final passage uh before we go tonight because i want to i want to get over this particular end so that we can get into the death and dying section of it next time in this passage he says in this body there are the earth element the water element the fire element and the air element furthermore just as a skilled butcher or his apprentice having killed a cow would sit at a crossroads cutting it into pieces the monk or nun contemplates this very body however it stands however it is disposed however it is disposed in terms of properties is this body in this body there is the earth property the liquid property the fire property the wind property okay so what is he talking about those those the four elements are actually um, if you get into the terminology and some meditation practices uh, in Buddhist literature there the there's the earth the fire uh, the air uh, and the water element, that's how elements are perceived. So the fire element is the temperature quality of the body. Now if you just, just as I speak, just notice the temperature quality of your body. Whether it's hot or cold, or that's the fire element of the body. You see we're, we're just changing perceptions. We're look, you look at the body as you have known it to be, now we're looking at it from a very different level of sensitivity, a different level of sensation. So the fire element is the process of temperature in the body. Uh, Sometimes it's rising, you know, as we get ill or whatever. Sometimes it feels very chilled and cold. The earth element. Earth element is the heaviness or hardness of the body. That sense of uh, solidity of the body. And uh, just now as I speak, just see if you can't recover the sense of solidity in your body just feeling that sense of, of weight that's there. The air element is not actually associated with air itself, but in the movement of the body, the physical experience of movement, of things moving within the body, including the passage of air into the lungs. But in this sense, it would also be the blood in our veins uh, moving as as they do as well so that sense of movement in the body is what's called the air element and then finally there is the water element and that's co- the cohesion and extension part of the body as the chest expands and stretches out that sense of cohesion cohesion in the body so just see if you can feel that sense of cohesiveness in the body So we're paying attention to our experience with a very different perceptual shift in it. And upon this, we can then look upon the body from that shift, which kind of breaks apart a different way of looking at it. If we're only fixed upon the appearance level, then this particular, these qualities of uh, air and water, et cetera shift us away from that a little bit and give us a very different way of perceiving the body and again when you shift perceptions then you also your opinions and views from which those uh, perceptions were fixed upon are start breaking apart you can't hold the same views and opinions because they were based upon a particular perceptual fixation you were having so change that fixation start looking at the body in terms of these elements, and it changes the nature of how you relate to it and your views about it. And it can be very helpful. To, it also increases our sensitivity and our subtlety and our receptivity to the body and its different aspects, in its complete, encouraged in its complete totality of what it is. So these are just ways to show us areas of way the minds mind clings and the way that we can uh, change perception so that we can release some of the uh, focused and attached ways that we see okay so that's enough for tonight and i thank you for your attention can we just sit for a minute or two just as we sit uh, let's just view the body not from the usual perceptual way that we fix it but let's perhaps bring forward a very different way of looking at it we can move to areas of the body that we have, up until this point, sort of roped off. Or perhaps we can shift to one of the elements of the body, the fire element, just the temperature, feeling that aspect of bodiness. or as the goenka system does the energy the energy systems of the body just the sense of energy in the body And now just let us uh, release the definitions entirely. So that we're not held within a particular fixed perception of the body. What the Buddha says is to release the knowledge and memory of body. so that it's not called a certain thing by the mind, and certainly is not labeled as my body. And you can feel how it gets big as it escapes the definition. And how the intelligence of the body is most easily accessed accessed without having definitions. It's somehow the perceptual shift we have within our definitions and the opinions we have within those descriptions, somehow hold the intelligence of the body at bay and don't allow an immediate access to the knowledge contained in the vacuum so you you really don't know when you want to touch the body's intelligence, you have to really not know. And then the intelligence manifests spontaneously through the body. We have just we have been under the influence of that intelligence. We just keep breaking the signal with our own interference pattern, with our own mental story and narrative and opinion. The universe hasn't gone anywhere. We don't have to re-enter it. We just have to learn how we've obscured it. And this is where the Buddha was directing (coughs) our attention. Okay, if there are any questions or comments, I'd be happy to Yes, sir. I don't find any of the things that uh, you were describing as revolting or repulsive. So what use is it if you define it as such? Well, if it's, I said it's it's to balance energies for people who do find it. Because if you're not finding any of those things repulsive, if you don't find yourself being too attracted and too weighted in the, in the attachment of the body, then this is it's kind of a meaningless exercise for those who have balance there already. Right? But it's always helpful to I think to break up what we think the body is in its totality to its individual pieces, to look and see what those individual things are that we have taken. And from that a very different perception. It's like you know, like taking it all apart and then trying to put it all back together and somehow it doesn't fit back together quite as smoothly. When you put it it's not doesn't mean the same thing once you've taken apart and then it comes back together it doesn't doesn't come back as convincingly as a single thing when you have looked into each individual section of it and uh have uh really understood and and uh seen it for what it was so if it doesn't work for you on the repulsive uh side and persuasion then try it from the um from the butcher shop To cut yourself up and look at these. So, what's the hand? What's the hand look feel like? What's the finger feel like? So, what's the blood in the finger feel like? What's the skin on the finger feel like? So, you can you can take it all apart. You don't have to go even very far. You can take it all apart from a single 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 point on the body. (coughs) It just helps. Kind of give it space, give it, let it. As we we condense it down into being a certain thing, it's very much like the aggregates in Buddhism. The aggregates are the five areas that we claim to be a sense of me, consciousness and perception and body, etc. And if we don't look upon those things separately as being individuated references in themselves then we take all these the aggregates as an aggregate as a me in the same way if we don't see the body as being more than just a single thing we'll take it as a single thing that is me but when you start feeling the different systems within the body and you start experiencing the different components within those systems it, it just begins to provide a little space between that attached sense of i and my body that's all anyone else <clears throat> yes how is the heart reacting um in that moment i'm oh, um, uh, thinking in consideration of the elemental values that you presented tonight and um, um, thinking about them deeply uh, in relation to the body and wanting to know uh, how the heart is reacting um, when we have a conscious uh, experience with spaciousness. How is the heart with a a conscious within spaciousness? right well in order for it to become spacious in order for one to awareness to be spacious it has to have unconditional love within that spaciousness right and you're not going to be spacious if some part of it you like and some part of it you don't like you're going to be very narrowly gauged aren't you right so to come to spaciousness is a full heart right so spaciousness and a full heart are really one and the same thing so when awareness is not dwelling upon a particular idea or sensation as being troublesome or thought, right? When it can encompass the totality, nothing is upsetting it within that totality, right? And so that which holds the totality, right, you could say is love. Does that make sense to you? okay thank you all this evening appreciate it we have some announcements that